Parents will do anything to protect their children, but at some point it's almost inevitable that a child will get hurt, whether from an accident, a fall, or from recreational play, resulting in acute pain that needs to be treated. On today's show, we'll learn about how acute pediatric pain is most effectively assessed, treated, and managed by healthcare professionals and, perhaps more importantly, by parents at home. Pain is tough because it's subjective. And for me, the most important thing for parents to know is that pain assessment is important, not just to trust your gut, but to actually talk to your child and communicate with them to better understand what their pain experience is. It's a look at best practices in handling acute pain in our children inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to CTSI Discovery Radio. I'm your host, Brian Bellmer. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, Freighter's Hospital, Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Milwaukee VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all of our member institutions in advancing biomedical research and finding new drugs, treatments, therapeutics, and interventions that are better, faster, and more economical than ever. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. It's every parent's fear. No matter how much we try to protect our children from harm's way, the reality is sometimes they get hurt resulting in acute pain that needs to be assessed, treated, and managed, whether by a healthcare professional, like in an emergency department of a hospital, by parents at home, or both. Dr. Amy Drendel is a pediatric emergency medical specialist at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin and assistant professor, Department of Pediatrics, Division of Emergency Medicine at the Medical College of Wisconsin. While she has special interest in managing acute pain in children that come into the emergency department, her greater interest is leading research to improve pain management for children when they're in the care of their parents at home. She's passionate about advocating for young patients, working with other pediatricians to give parents the best tools for providing at-home care for their children. We had the pleasure of meeting with Dr. Drendel recently to gain her insights. First, we focused our discussion on how acute pain in children is assessed, particularly in an emergency department setting, where Dr. Drendel tells us they pretty much see it all. We see a wide variety of complaints, everything from your most tragic, scary injuries, all the way down to the benign ear infection. But in the middle of the night, that becomes a little bit more emergent and needs to be addressed by a medical provider. With regards to pain, treating pain is important with injuries, and we're more focused on treating injury pain. But there's a lot of pain that happens with medical conditions as well. So I think treating and assessing pain is important over the full continuum for all patients that we see in the emergency department setting. She tells us that how pain in children was viewed historically is very different from how it's assessed today. Historically, pain was assessed by asking the parent what the child's pain experience was like. 
And even before then, we didn't have a good handle on how much pain children were experiencing. There was a time when we thought that kids didn't really experience pain at all, and children actually underwent surgical procedures without anesthetic and pain medication because it was felt that developmentally they hadn't developed the nerve fibers to experience the pain. And we're not talking all that long ago. In fact, the understanding of how children experience pain came into clearer focus more recently than you might think. It was in the 70s and it was neonatal surgeries that were being performed and it was an anesthesiologist that recognized that they were experiencing pain and that they were having better outcomes when they gave pain medication to the children. They identified that kids that got good pain control actually did better during the surgery and recovered better and we started to observe them and try to measure the pain based on what we were observing, which we still continue to do today. So we moved a long way from there. And it's been since then that we've been rolling towards trying to improve pain treatment for children. But there's still a ways to go before how children experience pain is fully understood. In general, kids' pain is much less understood. It's more underreported, probably not as well treated as the adult counterparts especially in the emergency medicine perspective. There's people that specialize in pain now, both in the adult and the pediatric world, and they have really moved the science forward as to what the best assessment and treatment plans are for patients of all types and all pain types. And Dr. Drendel is one of those working to advance the science of understanding pediatric pain. We'll share some examples of her work in a bit, but first we asked her to share some common challenges in assessing a child's level of pain. Age is one issue that comes up when assessing the pain. There's a fair amount of anxiety and distress that comes with a pain experience. And a lot of times for injury-related pain, it's truly one of their first pain experiences that are more severe. You add in a parent who's uncomfortable with that scenario and a setting that is very unfamiliar, it can be a difficult time to be able to learn about pain assessment and assessing that experience for the child and then make the best decision for treatment. You also have to take into consideration that every child is different and can express pain differently. Some kids are loud with their pain and they're going to be screaming and telling you what they're experiencing. Others are quiet and we've definitely found that the squeaky wheel often gets treated so it can be difficult for both providers and parents to recognize that quiet child who is sitting very still might be experiencing the same level of pain as the one who's screaming bloody murder. Fortunately there's someone else to assist the healthcare provider in assessing a child patient's pain. When you're taking care of the child you're definitely taking care of the patient family as well. So there's generally input from the family, which can often be helpful in figuring that out. Studies have shown that parents' assessment of pain is more reliable than the healthcare provider's assessment of pain, and it's probably because they understand their child's cues better. Parents are usually good meters of what their child's experiences are like. They also can give a little bit more background on what the child's pain experiences have been as well. 
They can bring up the past experience of, like, the last time you broke your arm. Is it that bad? Pain is all relative to before the pain medication or relative to a prior experience is actually really important. And parents play an important role in helping us to understand that as healthcare providers. Which isn't to say that parents are always 100% objective, but they're typically more help than not. I think parents have different levels of biases as well, so that can be problematic. There's others that don't want to see their child experience any pain, no matter how small or subtle that pain is. So they might be more likely to push things to make their child's experience absolutely pain-free, which sometimes isn't possible depending on the situation as well. So they're always an ally in the treatment of pain and using their experiences and the child's experience can provide the best experience for the child. Still, although parents can be helpful, a parent's assessment of pain, though, is not as good as the child's self-report as we look at it as the kind of the gold standard of pain assessment. And there are various tools used to help kids communicate their level of pain. Probably the thing that most adults are familiar with, that 0 to 10 scale, and we do use that in kids generally once they're about 8 years of age and older, they can handle those verbal cues. Kids between the ages of 3 and 4 up to about 8 years of age, we commonly use that 0 to 10 scaled pictures to be able to help us to describe that pain experience. There's a number of different picture scales that are used and have been validated. Below age 3 or 4, generally we use observation scales to be able to assess pain. So generally speaking, the more simple, the easier it is to use in the healthcare setting. So here at Children's, we have a standard observation scale, a standard faces pain scale, and then the numeric rating scale to be able to assess the child's pain so that it can be reproduced throughout the healthcare system. But are these traditional tools effective in measuring pediatric pain? Recently, there's been a push towards making pain the fifth vital sign. Across the country with regulations, they've instituted the assessment of pain to be as important as obtaining a heart rate and a respiratory rate and a blood pressure for all patients, including pediatric patients. And I think it really has brought forward the awareness of pain, and we're trying to address that better. The hope was that by having that pain scale being required, that would cue the nurses and cue the doctors that we need to take that next step and treat the pain. And we've looked at national databases of emergency department care and found that, in fact, when pain was assessed in the emergency department, there is an increased odds that the patient would receive a pain medication of some type. So as much as pain scores are sometimes maligned now, especially for the pediatric patient, it has increased our awareness and is associated with increased pain treatment, which I think is important. In fact, she put her experience and research in emergency medicine to work in developing her own tool to help children and parents express and manage the child's acute pain. It's called the Stoplight Pain Scale. Dr. Drendel tells us where the idea for it came from. The Stoplight Pain Scale came out of a discussion about the connection between pain assessment and interventions. Many people, when they use that 0 to 10 scale, they're not sure what to do with that number, both healthcare providers and parents alike. There's no specific direction 
once you've got the number on what you're supposed to do. And for a parent that's not as familiar with pain assessment, that's hard. And even for a healthcare provider trying to do the right thing for that patient, it can be hard. And so the stoplight pain scale can simplify the process of assessing the child's pain, whether in an emergency department setting, a doctor's office, or at home. So for me, there's basically three things that need to be done when you're assessing pain. Either you don't need to do anything because there's no pain, you need to do something because there is a pain experience, or you need to go back and reassess because it's somewhere in between needing to do something or not, because not everything is black and white. From there, we decided that three-point scale was probably the way to go. She tells us she drew inspiration for the stoplight pain scale from one of her family members. I have a cousin who is a third grade teacher, and she recommended the stoplight approach using the colors because that's very familiar to children, even down to the very young ages. It's something that's familiar to families. So I thought the three points with the three colors also allowed for us to be able to verbally talk about pain assessment, especially for those kids that use the faces pain scale without having that scale tattooed to your body, you really can't use it in the at-home setting. To be able to talk about your experiences, red, yellow, or green, would offer that verbal communication as well. And she worked with others in developing her idea. The graphic designers are Alex Thomas and Gary Ashwall, both part of Booster Shot Comics, and they helped creating the look of the scale itself. And then Carrie Hainsworth and Steve Weissman are both pain experts here at Children's Hospital who have a real expertise in pain assessments and the tools that are used. So I brought them in as well. And we started with a very simple prototype and have since started working to develop something that is reproducible and validated to match what has been shown to be effective in the healthcare setting. Why does Dr. Drendel believe that her tool can be more effective in helping to assess acute pain in kids? She says the reason is simple. The simpleness of the three points, I think, resonates with the kids. And the connection between each with an action resonates with families and making decisions. With that kind of direction, when they can ask their child what they're feeling and then have a plan on what the next steps are, that's really the kind of direction we need to give families once they go home. So much of healthcare now is done outside of the hospitals. So we are really relying on families to do now what nurses used to do and the more simple and familiar those tools are and the more directive they are in helping kids have the best experience once they're home the better off everyone's going to be but does her stoplight pain scale really work a clinical trial on its efficacy is being conducted. That study is almost completed now. We've enrolled over 400 kids of all ages and mapped our pain scale to the FACES pain scale to see if it works in a similar manner and also look to see when we are doing painful things to kids or doing pain-relieving things with kids, whether or not there are changes on that scale as well. So we're pulling all that data together with the help of our statisticians, and hopefully we'll have that published in the very near future. In the meantime, 
Where is the stoplight paint scale already being used today? The stoplight paint scale is used on a limited basis in our emergency department. We use it for specific initiatives that we're trying to optimize pain treatment for. It's available actually online at the Booster Shot Comic website. It's currently a part of some studies that we're doing to look at its effectiveness at home. And then it's also used in the province of Alberta, Canada as their pain assessment tool has been shown in quality improvement studies to improve pain outcomes for kids. It's already used in Canada. How did that come about? I have some collaborators. Samina Ali, Jennifer Thule Friedman, and Antonia Stang are all pediatric emergency medicine physicians. Interestingly, in Canada, they don't have the same requirements for pain assessment upon arrival at a healthcare institution. So they were looking for something that was simple and easy to use and would easily transition to home. So it was probably probably an easier sell there because they don't have the regulations that we have here. With hope that it does prove effective, what are Dr. Drendel's plans for broadening its use? The initial intention is for its use at home, trying to optimize pain treatment once kids go home. That has been my real focus and I'll try to get that available for community use. I think there might be a place for it in the healthcare arena as well, especially when I think about emergency care and trying to improve efficiency of care with these three-point scales as well. So I think there's a lot of different avenues that we can take, and I'm really excited about the opportunities. If you'd like to see Dr. Drendel's stoplight pain scale and maybe show it to your kids, you'll find a sample of it at stoplightpainscale.com. We'll be sure to post a link on our CTSI website along with this show. Now that we have an idea of some of the ways acute pain in kids is assessed, next, let's look at how it's treated. For this, we asked Dr. Drendel to first share how pain in children is treated today compared to how it was treated historically. In the 80s, pain was rarely treated for kids, probably because it was under-recognized and, again, not a priority. There's a number of studies from the early 80s that showed pain treatment rates for fractures and burns, which are known to be pretty painful, in the 20 and 30 percent range. We've definitely moved forward from there because I can say here at Children's Hospital our treatment rate for fractures and burns are really into the 80 and 90th percentile depending on the type of injury and the treatment prior to arrival. Most of that has to do with awareness about the pain experience for kids and also the recognition that we were under treating kids compared to adults and recognizing that not only is it important to treat pain but by treating pain we improve function. And that connection, I think, has made a big difference to highlight to providers that improving pain experience does have other outcomes that are important to both healthcare providers and families alike. How does the assessed level of acute pain factor into which treatments are used for children today? The World Health Organization has some good recommendations around pain severity and interventions. They have divided that 10-point scale basically into mild, moderate, and severe. 1 to 3 is considered mild. 4 to 6 is moderate, and 7 to 10 is severe. The goal is to get patients to know or mild pain in general. So, for kids experiencing mild pain... Patients who experience mild pain often can respond well to interventions, and non-pharmacologic interventions, rest, ice, elevation, even distraction, music... Those kind of things can make a difference for that mild category of pain. For more mild
moderate pain. If that pain is more into the moderate category, the recommendations typically are for acetaminophen or ibuprofen medications, particularly in children that have shown to be effective. And for more severe pain, typically opioid medications are recommended. In that severe category, commonly the less potent medications are not going to be as effective. But combinations are good. So non-pharmacologic plus non-steroidal and opioid can often be the best combination. And it's just a matter of tinkering with dosing, which is weight-based for kids. In addition to the child's level of pain, what role does age have in determining treatment? The biggest factor that age plays in pain treatment is what kind of medication you can actually use. Younger kids are not as tolerant of tablet medication, so commonly we go to oral suspensions for them. Acetaminophen, ibuprofen, and the opioids all come in liquid suspensions. In general, studies have shown that providers are more resistant to giving stronger opioid medication to younger kids, though I think there are definitely indications for that stronger medication in the younger kids. What other factors are considered? There is a move now towards looking at pharmacogenomics, so looking at what your genetic makeup is, because there's certain medications that might be more effective or more safe to give you based on what your genetic makeup looks like. That's probably not a reality currently, say, in the emergency department setting, but for more chronic management. Which speaks to the evolution toward precision medicine. Want to learn more about that? Check out CTSI Discovery Radio, episode number 21, The Precision Medicine Initiative. You'll find that podcast on our CTSI website, along with all of our previous shows. So far, we focused on assessing and treating acute pediatric pain while the child is in the emergency department. But what are challenges parents have in assessing their child's pain at home? A lot of parents use their gut, which can be useful, but studies have shown that they underestimate their child's pain. So not having an assessment tool at home can be problematic because oftentimes that continuum of care from hospital to home isn't always the priority. Knowing that there's no regulation at home about assessment of pain on a regular basis for kids. So communication is a big barrier to optimal outcomes and function. And my hope is that in some way the stoplight pain scale assessment tool and better instructions for the child and the family once they go home will make a big difference. In recent years, Dr. Drendel co-led and published the results of a study titled Parent Satisfaction with Acute Pediatric Pain Treatment at Home home part of a larger randomized clinical trial. And we were really interested in what mattered most to both parents and kids once they went home because no one really has asked that question. And we, in fact, found that parents and kids had different ideas of what was important to them. So I think asking both players is important. And we wanted to get a better sense of how well parents thought things were going at home. And in fact, we found that though the pain that they were reported would probably be unacceptable in the healthcare setting. Parents thought it was okay because their expectations were that the child would experience a fair amount of pain and they were okay with that. From a healthcare provider standpoint, knowing that I can make a difference with that pain experience, it really pushed me to help parents know that they can make that experience better and there are tools that can help them do that. She tells us more about who and what were studied. We looked at over 200 
100 kids and their parents once they were discharged from the emergency department with an uncomplicated arm fracture. Kids were ages 4 to 18 years of age and went home with either Tylenol with codeine or ibuprofen for pain treatment. They got typical discharge instructions from the emergency department, and then we did an assessment a couple of days after they'd been at home using written pain diaries on what the daily pain experience was like, and then at the end of the third day, what their overall satisfaction was with that medication that they had received. And we really found no difference between the two medication regimens that were being used, other than the kids thought that codeine tasted horrible, and they were actually less likely to take it. And parents found that there was a fair amount of pain experienced, but their satisfaction levels were still pretty high. Did the study find that parents were satisfied with at-home pain management for their children? In general, parents were pretty satisfied. Unfortunately, I think the bar was not set very high for the parents with regard to pain control and function. And so though they reported a lot of dysfunction, missed work, missed school, kids not sleeping and not eating, I think there was an expectation that that might be associated with a fracture. So they were satisfied that that was okay. My hope is that we can actually optimize the treatment of the child's pain at home and that kids will go to school, parents will go back to work, they'll sleep better, eat better, and overall do better because of changes in our assessment and treatment of pain. And while the kids were generally satisfied, Dr. Drendel says they did have one concern. We asked the kids what we needed to do to make their experience an A+, and they said we needed to make that medicine taste better. So to summarize, when it comes to at-home pain management for kids, what does her emergency medicine experience and research show are the most effective treatments? For at-home pain treatment, the best treatment depends on the diagnosis, depends on the patient, and depends on the severity of pain. Starting with non-pharmacologic interventions, including rest, ice, elevation, distraction, moving then on to using Tylenol and ibuprofen is good at reducing the chances that you're going to have to use stronger medicine. And then if the pain persists or is more severe than the addition of an opioid medication for those diagnoses that are associated with severe pain makes sense. We hear a lot about opioid pain medications due to the epidemic of abuse in our community. What do parents need to understand about opioids if they're prescribed for their child? I think it's a great question. The recommendations for opioid prescription are left to the healthcare provider. And healthcare providers are trying to do what has been recommended by the CDC, which is the smallest amount dose-wise for the shortest period of time for severe pain. For parents, I think it should be a careful use of opioids if it's been recommended. It's likely the healthcare provider has concerns that the child's going to experience severe pain. And in those cases, if the prior interventions aren't effective, then using an opioid is the right answer. It should definitely be dosed appropriately for the child's weight and be used at a frequency that has been prescribed by the healthcare provider. Finally, Dr. Drendel developed another tool to help kids and parents communicate about pain management at home. It's an educational comic 
that kids receive upon being discharged from the emergency department. We interviewed kids with arm injuries who had been discharged home. We went to their house and talked to them about what their pain experience was like. And we learned from them key elements that they thought was important all other kids should know once they go home. We also heard from them that they don't remember much about what happened in the emergency department and whether anyone told them about what would happen once they go home. So we thought that comic would be a way to send them home with those instructions. She worked once again with designers in creating a two-page comic stressing three main points for kids and parents. Injuries like broken bones may hurt for a while once you go home. Talk to your parents if anything hurts you and parents can give you pain medication that can help you to feel better. So that's reinforced, which I think is an innovative approach to discharge instructions. A feasibility study has been completed and published, showing the comic to be innovative and effective. All rated it highly with regards to providing information and being the interactive tool that we were hoping it would be. There's a teach-back portion of the discharge instructions at the very end of the comic, and all were able to provide that teach-back piece, suggesting that they had gained the knowledge that we were hoping they would get from really a simple instruction sheet. Although the kids did have a couple of suggestions. The feasibility study showed that they actually wanted more color and they wanted a longer comic. And so a full color, longer comic book is now in development. You can see more on Dr. Drendel's comic book online and we'll be sure to post a link on our CTSI website along with this show. Assessing, treating, and managing a child's pain at home can be challenging, but Dr. Drendel encourages all parents that it can be done effectively with careful listening and by talking through each pain experience with your children. Pain is tough because it's subjective. And for me, the most important thing for parents to know is that pain assessment is important, not just to trust your gut, but to actually talk to your child and communicate with them to better understand what their pain experience is. And with that, we've reached the end for this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Once again, our sincere thanks to today's guest, Dr. Amy Drendel, Pediatric Emergency Medicine Specialist at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin and Assistant Professor, Department of Pediatrics, Division of Emergency Medicine at the Medical College of Wisconsin. I hope you've discovered something by listening to today's show, and I'm doubly hopeful that you'll join us again next time. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month, so make an appointment on your calendar and join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and all of our affiliate partners and members, I'm Brian Bellmer, wishing you happy, healthy kids ahead. For more information about research, events like our monthly science cafes, or to listen to this program online and on demand, please visit the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin website at ctsi.mcw.edu. While you're there, sign up as a community member. We need your help to advance clinical and translational team science and improve the health of our community and people worldwide. And remember, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, produced, and hosted by Brian Bellmer. 
co-produced by Tom Crawford and Jeremy Kuzniar in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.